0: Good morning. Uh, First of all, I just want to thank those of you who are praying for us and for me particularly with my voice. Um, I'm going through tests and therapy and all sorts of things, and right now, I hope my voice stays right here. Amen. Uh, This morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. And I'm not going to read through it because there's forty three verses and we'll go through them through the text for the uh, sermon here before that let's go to prayer father we thank you for the word of God and we thank you for the church and we thank you Lord for our salvation and as we sit Lord uh, in this church today we join with other churches around the world to uh, call out to you for help and hope and uh, transition and transformation. And so we pray toward today, Lord, you will touch us and move us further close to you and shape us and mold us into what you want us to be. So we give you our hearts and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past Friday marked the uh, 19th year from the day that 19 Islamist terrorists coordinated four attacks against the United States. By hijacking four airplanes and using them as suicide bombs, resulted in 3,000 deaths, 25,000 disabled injuries, and 10 billion dollars worth of damage. 9-11 was the single most deadliest terrorist attack in human history, and it's the single deadliest incident for firefighters and for law enforcement em- and officers. 343 of were firefighters and 72 were policemen. The impact of 9-11 went beyond the US border. It literally changed the world. And as we gather together today, in 2020, we are once again being attacked. Once again we face an enemy who is hijacking our lives and creating fearful atmosphere and turbulent chaos. Once again we are leaving, living in days of struggle and suffering that goes beyond our borders into the, to the world. Those of us in North America are even currently experiencing the painful attack here with all the issues we have in the world. specifically right now, fires, millions of acres, and we're breathing it in. North America is experiencing other attacks too. For one, we have the pandemic, and whether you believe it or not, or like it or not, it is affecting millions of people. We have economic instability, we have high unemployment, we have stay-at-home orders, violent pride protests, blatant political posturing, countless new restrictions on our everyday lives regarding masks and social distancing and handwashing and incompetent leaders and rebellious, entitled-minded followers. In these days, we're also struggling, like I said, even to breathe. The most painful part about all these things is, more often than not, when the enemy attacks us, when when pain comes into our lives, our hearts can easily get hard against God because he has made life uncomfortable and painful for us. Or our hearts also can get hard against someone or something that has given us pain in our lives, to which we then, at that point, can find self-absorbed reasons to reject the life-giving principles of the kingdom of God, which then gives us self-absorbed reasons to no longer respond to God or obey God. And those things happen around us all the time. We are living in days, brothers and sisters, of fear-mongering and violent chaos when more and more people are questioning their faith in Jesus Christ and leaving the faith. Even within our own family. We have a couple that have rejected Jesus, not Eric or anybody. But that's not our calling. We are called by God and we are called by God and we're called by God and we join the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are automatically engaged with God in a painful chaotic battle against the forces of sin death and hell which are the forces of Satan himself and it's just not an occasional skirmish we're engaged in we are in a full bore spiritual battle with evil and against the world system which violently opposes the advance of the gospel even within ourselves in our our sinful nature there's a fleshly resistance inside of us to do the good things God wants us to do Ephesians 6 makes it very clear that the Christian life is a life of ongoing warfare. Be strong in the Lord, Paul writes, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having all done to stand firm. The word of God makes frequent reference of the warfare that we are as God's people. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, his son in the faith, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you have been called to and about what you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And at the end of his life, Paul, as he awaited execution in Rome, wrote again to Timothy I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Life as a born again Christian of the kingdom of God is a life of long, long battles. Revelation 12 describes our satanic enemy as the deceiver of the whole world as the accuser of our brothers as one who will come down to you with great wrath one who is very furious with us. His assaults are real and spiritual warfare is real. Amen. And if you think it's not you lost. Spiritual battle we're going to see today is evident in Joshua 10 which is an account of the nation of Israel's intense long, sustained warfare against an alliance of five Amorite city-states that had attacked Gibeon, Israel's new covenant partner, if you don't remember from last week. Joshua 10 illustrates to us the challenge that Paul gives to Timothy, sharing suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In our text for the, this morning, God's word will teach us what it means to be a victorious in our battles and to be courageous in the face of our enemies and to keep marching forward and claim new territory or bringing our ter- 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 territory back to God. In his farewell speech in con- to Congress on April 19, 1951, U.S. General Douglas MacArthur said this In war, there is no substitute. For victory. Joshua would agree with that, and I pray we would too. Let's start at verse the first five verses here. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of the Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon made him meet peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hohem, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, And to Debar, king of Elgin, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies, and encamped against Gibeon, and made war against it. So our reading here is that the king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek, hears about the victories in Jericho in Ai, and about this new alliance with Gibeon and Israel. In ver- verse two it says that he feared greatly because Gideon was a strong city with a great army, and so they should have been part of that alliance themselves. So he contacts the other four kings and joins up with them and these kings recruit. By the way, all of these uh, kings were fighting themselves before this, so misery loves company. Once a common enemy is identified, they come together. And all five of these cities are within a 35-mile radius of Gibeon, south and southwest of the city. And the attack on Gibeon begins. And we see here for us to know that when we are chosen to be followed Jesus, we will have opposition in our lives. Let's go to 6 and 10. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, and he and all the people of the war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent to Beth-haron and struck them as far as at Zedkah and Mekedah. Here we read that the men of Gibeon look across the Judean hills and they see all these armies coming to lay siege to their city. So they sent messengers down the hill to Gilgal and call out for help and Joshua immediately gathers up the troops and he leads them in battle and he could do so because God had told Joshua do not fear them for I have given them into your hands not a man of them shall stand before you now these words Joshua has heard before because he heard this before Joshua heard these from the Lord when he was anticipating the Battle of Jericho and then the second battle at at Ai. And the text here tells us, having marched all night uphill, they carry out a surprise attack at dawn. And they rout the enemy and the Amorites flee in a panic. And the Israeli army experience a a partial victory. As we read, they have to pursue some uh, people that had not been caught. From there, verse 11 and as they fled before israel while they were going down the ascent of beth horon the lord threw down large stones from heaven and on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of israel killed with the sword at that time joshua spoke to the lord in the day when the lord gave the amorites over to the sons of israel And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Iajan. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jessar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set about the whole day. There has been no day like it since or before, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man and the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned in all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. So in verse 11, we read that this battle unfolds as Israel chases the Amorite army through the valley. And it's there we see the sovereign hand of God, the sovereign power of God at work to protect and empower his chosen people to victory against their enemies. And the Lord threw down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And there were more who died because of the hailstones and the sons of Israel killed with the sword. God's provision, brothers and sisters, goes beyond physical, material things in our natural lives. He is willing to use supernatural sources to achieve his sovereign purposes. This is not like miracles on demand. This is about God sovereignly deciding to reverse the natural order of creation for his glory and for our good. In a miracle of hailstones, we see that God is assisting his army. Now, this this army is tired. These men had hiked all night. It's 25 miles uphill. They engaged in hand-to-hand combat for most of the day. And then they pursued the Amorite army, which was in flight down a narrow mountain pass. And so God providentially sends in reinforcements of heavenly artillery. I would call it machine gun fire of hailstones. These hailstones were sort of like smart bombs we know in warfare today because we see that only the Amorite soldiers were killed. None of the Israelis. But this this miracle of hailstones is nothing compared to the miracle of extending the day so Israel could secure complete victory over their enemies. If nightfall came, it would be easy for the enemy to slip away. And so Joshua prays to God for help and God hears him and he Reverses the natural order of creation and by the spirit of God Joshua proclaimed, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Jon. And the creator of the universe went to work and we read that the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on all of their enemies. Now Throughout the ages, and even today, many have tried to explain how this divine miracle could have happened. How did God stop the earth on its axis and stop the moon in its orbit? Well, for that matter, how do you explain any miracles in the Bible? The biblical answer is faith in God. Amen? God says through the prophet Jeremiah behold I am the Lord the God of all flesh is anything too hard for me amen the Lord of the universe is in control over all its natural elements in Psalm 74 Asaph declares to God yours is the day and yours is the night and you have established the heavenly lights and the sun you have fixed all the boundaries of the earth, and you have made summer and winter. Everything God has created serves God. He rules, he reigns over all of his supernatural resources. And the, but there are some people who hear this and they will say it's easy to say that God rules and reigns over his supernatural resources, like he performed this miracle before these people, but we don't see these anymore. Does God still suspend the laws that he has put into place? And the answer is yes. He's doing it all the time. He's doing it all the time. But we don't see it. Why? Because we're not asking for it and we're not looking for it and we're too preoccupied with ourselves and with our lives. Rather than being preoccupied with living for God who supernaturally supernaturally created us from dust and then God supernaturally saved us by sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross in our place, our place for our sins so we might be forgiven and redeemed and restored back to God forever. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the sovereign power of God to work supernaturally to protect and empower his chosen people to win the victory over his, and our enemies. Amen. Verse 16. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Mekata. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings had been found hidden in the cave of Mekata. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack the rear guard. Do not let them enter the cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp of Macharela. Not a man moved his tongue against any Of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so. And they brought those five kings out to him from the cave the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they had brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who was gone with them come near put your feet on the necks of these kings then they came near and put their feet on their necks and Joshua said to them do not be afraid or dismayed be strong and courageous for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight and afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death And he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on trees until evening. But at that time of going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this day. So we read here that Joshua finds out five kings have escaped and are holed up in a cave and this in the culture of the day would have been a cowardly treasonous act on the part of the kings. They abandoned their troops and ran to protect themselves and they hid in a cave and Joshua has those men removed ultimately. The ceremony at that point is having the generals put their feet on the neck of each of these kings. This is done to give encouragement and strength to the shoulders. Soldiers, excuse me. The victories that they have accomplished in Jericho and Ai and Gibeon had given them control of Cana at this point. They still have ahead of them uh, a lot of battles. But Joshua's military strategy of dividing and conquering worked but there would be many more battles to fight and so they needed that encouragement. The actions of executing the five five kings contain a powerful kind of symbolism for the nation and for us today. What it means is in the world and even in the spiritual world completed warfare against our enemies is the guarantee of future victory. There's a spiritual principle, brothers and sisters. I know this when I was writing this. This whole thing about putting your knee on a neck is pretty fresh around with us. This is not what we're talking about. The spiritual principle here is in scripture of doing this. King Solomon, speaking of David's father's success against the enemies of Israel, talks about a time when the Lord put his his foes under the soles of his feet. David himself saw his military victories as the promise of a day when God would bring the Messiah and he called his enemies his footstool. The Apostle Paul picks up on that phrase referring to Jesus Christ's ultimate victory over sin in 1 Corinthians 15, 25. He says, For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This kind of assurance is Of victory is what we need in our battles. The victory answers the deepest question of our heart, which Paul asks in Romans 8:5. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That list of struggles defines life as it is in all all worlds. We are never told here when we sign up that we won't have difficulty. In Christ, we are engaged in a spiritual battle that is life and death. But the answer to Paul's question says that Jesus Christ is the ultimate victor. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor anything present or anything to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus won't just protect us. Jesus just won't preserve us. He will give us absolute, complete, joyous victory. The one who supernaturally stilled the sun and stopped the moon will give us victory in the battles of our lives. All kings must be executed. Victory means putting the enemy to death. Now, now there's something in all of us that resists that. Most of us are uncomfortable with the execution. We, we ask, wouldn't it be better just to publicly humiliate them or make them speak? spend the rest of their lives in the cave or parole them and send them to Gilgal why execute them well Joshua not only executes he also hangs them and he puts just to show that they're under God's curse and then he puts their bodies in a cave and put rocks on it as a monument to what they did it had to be that way because the kings were in violent opposition to God's work in the land And if they weren't destroyed, they would come back to conquer because these Amorites had been fighting against Israel since the days of Abraham. The time for mercy and grace is past. It isn't enough just to leave them skulking in a cave. They had to be executed. They had to be destroyed. So we shouldn't not pity these kings at all. And in a similar way, for each one of us, we are called to examine the cave of our own thought life, the things that nobody else knows about, and ask ourselves, what things in resistance to God's will and purpose are still loitering or lurking in my life? What are the fleshly destructive tendencies that I ignore that might be attached to evil? How is the enemy of our soul planning to undermine what we're called to do and be in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must be willing to submit to the crucifixion of self if we want to have complete victory in Christ. We can't leave sin lurking in the hidden resources of our heart without being brought into light and have it judged and put to death. The good news is if we face whatever king's are committed to pulling the rug out from our lives, we will know forgiveness and empowerment and cleansing and restoration with God for life forever. Jesus, Savior and King, is the one who defeats our enemies as they rise up. Whether it's fleshly things in us that are resisting Christ or influence from the world system here, With the risen Christ, we have a guarantee that we get victory all over these things, as long as we are slaying our kings that are holding us back. Verse 28 As for Makkadah, Joshua captured, captured captured it on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of its sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it, and he left none remaining. And he did go to the king of Makeda and just had done what he'd done with the king of Jericho. At Makeda, Joshua begins his battle cam- campaign toward the south to eradicate his enemies. And after he does so, there's a, there's a series of battles we're not going to read through. But there's a series of battles here, seven different cities. Each city gets kind of one or two verses. But between each of these battles are action connectives. They moved, they went, they traveled, they continued on the conquest. Each individual battle is violent and intense. And it's significant that two things here are mentioned all the way through. First, God gave them victory. Second, Joshua obeyed everything he was told to do. Verse 40. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but devoted to destruction all that breathed just as the Lord of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the countries of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and all their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. These three verses summarize Jacob's uh, southern campaign here. He's defeated the enemies of the whole land, all their kings, left nothing remaining. He moves on to Bigger things, Kadesh Barnea, Gaza, even in the county of country of Goshen. Joshua was able to do these things, Reed, because it was God who led them. God gave them the victory, because they were obedient in it. The very last verse of the chapter is interesting, you know, though, very quiet and reflective. Then Joshua returned, and all of Israel was with him to the camp of Gilgal. This is the fifth time in this chapter where we read about Gilgal. Gilgal is the place of reference throughout this chapter. Gilgal is the place Israel started to attack from and the place they returned from. Gilgal is the spiritual base camp, so to speak. The place they always came back to. Gilgal is the place where Joshua set up the stones as a memorial of crossing through the Jordan River. It's a symbol of of death to the wilderness life and resurrection life in the new land. Gilgal was the place of circumcision where reproach and shame and humiliation of the past was symbolically just rolled away. Gilgal was the place where Passover was reinstituted, which represented intimate fellowship with God. Gilgal was the place where the people began to live off the prison Provision of the land, rather than the manna that God was pr- providing. Gilgal is the place where God showed up in the f- in front of jo- uh, Joshua with a sword in his hand, the commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face in submission before him in Gilgal. Gilgal was the base camp they came back to after their humiliation at Ai, and Gilgal is the base camp they came came back to when it was a victory in Ai. And these are, these are weary soldiers, all these guys. Probably weeks and weeks. Imagine how good that would, would have looked to them. You know, food, rest, family, peace. Imagine what they, what they must have felt like. Gilgal has great community significance for us because this is Gilgal. Gilgal has great community significance. It's a sanctuary where God's people come to hear God's word. This is the place we go. Gilgal reminds us that warfare is not fought fought in isolation. We are fellow soldiers in this fight. We gather together to church partly so we can hear war stories, so we might encourage each other and strengthen each other and support each other and strategize how we might make some more progress in getting back God, his land. We need those stories. Throughout the conquest of Canaan, Israel returns over and over and over to Gilgal. There they find encouragement and rest and motivation and peace. And like Gilgal, our getting together at church on Sunday morning or our homes or wherever we gather together ought to be times of rest and worship and spiritual encouragement and empowerment for a life of warfare as we walk this earth. Gathering together at Gilgal in the midst of our lives makes us right with God and right with each other. Brothers and sisters, we desperately need Gilgal in these days not long ago, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, a study came out that uh, within 18 months of the start of this pandemic, one out of five churches will be gone on North America in 18 months. Two reasons. Number one, money. Number two, people begin to stray, slow but share. And we're not immune. We need Gilgal, amen? In these days of trouble and chaos, know that God is at the bottom of everything. I mean, we were angry maybe about this this virus thing. Whether you believe it or not, God initiated that. Why did he do that? We're not sure. But we sure know it's exposing a lot of bad stuff we need to come together in Gilgal in Isaiah 45 7 God declares I form light I create darkness I make well being I create calamity I am the Lord who does all these things because our Lord does all these things we can take heart because he's in charge and he's with us and when we are called by God and join the family of God in faith in Christ we automatically are engaged in this painful warfare but the war is already won we just have battles in the midst of all this we are called to Gilgal. John 16.33 Jesus says in this world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we thank you today and we just bless you uh, for all the things that you've given us and you are doing in us and the things that uh, are going to come before us that we're not sure about. Help us, Lord, with our fear. Help us with our, our wandering Help us with our getting angry about things. Bring us together, Lord, in Gogol together as your people to come to the place where we can come together and fight, not each other or the world, but fight for you. So we ask, Lord, that uh, you would empower us to do that. Help us to focus on what really matters and trust you and love you and know that uh, we can be just as successful as Joshua if we kill the kings that rule our lives. So we give you our hearts and bless you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.